0: Welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 112. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me today in the studio, we have a returning guest, Mike Jest.
1: Good to be here once again.
0: And today, we're going to be talking about the role of dark humor in comedy. And to start, I would say that in my perception, and I think in a lot of people's perceptions, Comedy and humor are used to liven a mood or to make people feel happy, joyful, carefree, etc. And I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of comedy as something dark at times because it seems antithetical to what comedy is. I personally don't fully agree with that because I think dark humor has its place, but I'd like to know how you would respond to such comments.
1: Well, I think one of the greatest things that comedy can do is to take something you're afraid of and make it funny. I have a joke about how that's why I don't like horror movies cuz what all horror movies do is take something you're afraid of and make you afraid of it. And I think dark humor has the potential to do that the most. That's sort of what we're saying is that it's dealing with the topic we're afraid of and making it funny. I mean, I think Kimmy Schmidt, created by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock is a recent example of dark comedy that's true comedy. You know, it's so funny while dealing with something that if you take it at face value is pretty dark.
0: And do you think that dark comedy makes people uncomfortable because you're forcing them to deal with those realities rather than bringing them to your level of comedic excitement? Because I don't think people like being forced into an emotional state. Or do you think that I'm incorrect in assuming that?
1: Yeah, I think maybe they do. I don't know about you, but my favorite episodes of The Office made me squirm. And Nathan For You and those shows that really affect you make you have a physiological reaction. I mean, laughter is maybe the most common one or the one most thought of with a comedy, but comedy can make you feel anything. And that tension, the more you ratchet that up, the bigger the laugh at the end, I think.
0: And with episodes of The Office specifically, because that is a show I've watched, do you remember what qualities made you squirm and what you felt as the viewer?
1: Well, The Office is sort of a dark comedy in miniature in a way. And I think that's sort of the form that Ricky Gervais invented. If You know, we think that was a revolutionary comedy, which is that it's sort of the awkward tension of the everyday, you know, and of the struggle between how we want to be perceived and what we're really like. And... To externalize and literalize that with the documentary crew was great. You know, it was the real
0: masterstroke. I really like how you're talking about the everyday value that The Office and similar comedies and comedic pursuits have brought, because I do think there is a great discomfort in what is familiar. Sometimes we're scared of the unknown, as in horror movies, but I think perhaps a deeper fear or a more bizarre form of fear is that which pervades everything and is all around us, and we don't want to be reminded of it. Do you think there are certain comedians who do a good job of bringing dark humor to their audiences or anyone that maybe you try and emulate when employing dark humor?
1: Yeah, I think empathy is scary. And that's something that a dark comedy does really well. I think I mean, Rick and Morty is a show I admire greatly as well as enjoy greatly, because it's so densely comedic and also simultaneously emotionally rich. Bojack Horseman is another great example. I mean, there's so much great comedy. And I think it's because this is the generation that came up being able to have access to as much comedy as they wanted. So we're getting a very high yield rate, like Malcolm Gladwell talks about, like the yield rate for athletes that 25% of American men over seven feet tall are in the NBA, just because if you're seven feet tall in America, you're going to get a basketball put in your hand. And it's become that way with comedy. Comedy is so pervasive with the internet and culture in general that, you know, we want our action stars to be funny now. Chris Pratt and all those guys, Robert Downey Jr., that's the new model.
0: I agree that comedy itself has become more popular and people want it in more places and that we do expect it in almost everything we consume media-wise. I would contend, however, that dark comedy is not necessarily something that people want everywhere or maybe are not prepared to receive and consume everywhere because I think context and culture are often integral in dark humor and dark comedy that you may not understand a joke if you don't understand the satire or the mockery. And I'm sure there are examples of people misquoting things on Twitter and taking them out of context or in other similar bite-sized examples where people don't appreciate the full context. And I'll admit that some dark humor does cross that line, which we'll come back to later. For me, one example of misinterpretation is Kimmy Schmidt, the show on Netflix, where I think a lot of people felt the satire in a lot of situations that was constructed by Faye and Carlock was treated as racist or insensitive and wasn't in fact satire. So what do you think the role is of culture, context, etc., in helping the audience or the viewer to understand that it is dark humor rather than a cruel mockery of something?
1: Well, I think one danger with dark comedy is that it becomes exclusive and that when the comedy inevitably fails, if the intention behind the joke is mean at all or cruel at all is maybe a better word to use then it's uncomfortable. And it's uncomfortable in a way that it's not intentional. And when something feels unintentional, it makes you anxious because an audience's job is to be skeptical. And a performer's or writer's job is to convince them. And in those moments where something seems to not be coming across the way it was intended to come across, you become aware of the writer and you stop being convinced
0: and I'm glad you bring up the idea of conviction, but also of exclusion. About a year ago, I was in an anthropology class on Native American issues, and one very interesting moment we explored briefly in the class was the idea of Native American jokes told within Native American circles exclusively about their traditions, culture, heritage, or issues that they have faced. And especially in that latter category, there are a lot of dark jokes about, you know, you're Indian if... Dot, 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 and the ends of those sentences are often very grim and troubling to the outsider, but function in uniting those who understand the jokes around comedy because they can identify with one another. And so it's a means of storytelling and preserving their identity as Native Americans of various tribes. And those who don't understand, for example, white people, will feel excluded. Do you think that in certain cases, exclusionary dark humor like that is permissible if it's? for a group of people who feel marginalized, excluded, or oppressed in some way?
1: I don't know if it's up to us to decide whether that's funny or, you know, socially permissible. I mean, permissible is such a terrible word. I, you know, am always very careful when talking about things like this to be very aware that I'm just a white guy and don't know. So, you know, I don't want to speak from a place of ignorance about that. But to me, I think if that group of people likes the joke, then they're right. You know, who are we to say that's not funny? It's absolutely their call. One idea I wanted to connect this exclusionary danger of dark comedy is another idea I feel like I've heard presented by comedians is that you have to be a dark person to write dark comedy and that for all those guys who went dark in their work, it's because they were dark in some ways people, which I really don't think is true. I mean, one counterexample maybe is someone like Robin Williams, whose work was so joyful and whose private life we know was touched by depression. And I think non-examples are all over the place now, like guys like Bill Hader and, you know, who can separate themselves from their work and who can make a dark joke without having to believe it.
0: I hear what you're saying, but for me, the Robin Williams example is powerful in arguing the opposite of how you feel. I think conventional wisdom might suggest that the darker someone's life is or their personal experiences are, the more they have to draw on in terms of dark humor, but also with humor as a mechanism. I think there's a motivation when one is extremely sad to respond if you can muster the strength or the willpower or whatever it may be, with extreme happiness and joy. And that's why I think there is that trope of the sad clown or the comedian who is using comedy to fight their own battles against depression or anxiety or other forms of sorrow and mental illness. And I would say that at least in my view, having darker experiences and creating comedy, whether it's dark comedy or not, out of those allows your comedy to come across as more genuine. Because I think audiences, as you said, are meant to be skeptical and can tell if you, the comedian, the storyteller, the performer, whatever noun you want to use, are employing tactics that seem fraudulent in any way. And I think people are very capable, regardless of their backgrounds, at telling when someone is not only lying, but acting in a false way. Do you disagree with that train of logic?
1: Only insofar as I worry that for a performer, it could become an excuse for issuing craft in exchange for, you know, some sort of maybe misguided sense of artistic verisimilitude, you know, having to draw on the pain from your life to depict real pain. And I think sort of part of that is maybe about allowing yourself the license as an artist to make real fiction, to like truly step beyond yourself maybe that's never possible, but reaching for that goal maybe stops your work from being inwardly turned and allows it to be a way of connecting with other people rather than just expressing your feelings the way you want to, trying to let other people understand your feelings and treating them with the respect that can. Presented simply and honestly, people will understand.
0: I'm glad you bring up the idea of listening to the feelings of others and reciprocating and creating a form of dialogue because I'm also thinking at the moment, that dark humor can often seem very one-sided. When people request comedy or request jokes for being cheered up or lightening the mood in any capacity, very rarely do you hear of someone, at least personally, asking for a dark joke. I don't know that it's something people seek out. They may expect it from certain individuals or certain comics, but I'd be curious to hear if you think it is as one-sided as my perception there would indicate.
1: Well, that makes me think of comedians who tell rape jokes and who defend their own rape jokes. You can believe in free speech, but if someone didn't find your rape joke funny, they weren't wrong. I can say that with a lot of certainty. (laughs) It's not up to you what's funny. The only thing that's funny is you making another person laugh. So if the other person isn't laughing, to them it was not funny. And arguing about the objective humor of something that dark is pointless because it's impossible to prove, first of all, but also pretty misguided and very defensive.
0: And my apologies for interrupting, but with the example of rape jokes in particular, I personally find them very distasteful because people have, continued to, and unfortunately will likely continue to suffer that terrible violation and form of abuse. There are comedians who I think might argue it's a form of social commentary and making that joke, but one question I have for you, if the audience doesn't know that it's satire or dark humor and takes your racist or sexist or rape joke... As social encouragement rather than social critique. Is that a danger you see in dark humor that some individuals won't detect your tone and will only hear the contents of the joke as something supportive of negative behavior?
1: Yes, I'm worried that I'm not a good enough writer. But if people don't get the tone of your joke, you didn't do a good enough job because the point is for them to get it. So again, when people act like People aren't getting dark humor, and that the goal is anything less than like universality. (laughs) I think that's silly and, you know, exclusive in a way that it shouldn't be, and exclusive out of a sense of I need to protect my ego. And there are some people who will laugh at this, and that means the people who don't are wrong. The things that are really great, we sort of all agree on. That's why they're classics. I've been talking to my friends this whole weekend about Groundhog Day because it's sort of thematically relevant but also because that's like a perfect movie. I don't know a lot of people who don't like Groundhog Day, and it's so dark and contains a scene where he sort of tries to sexually assault someone, and it's played with a respect for the reality of what that would mean for a character, for how low you would have to go, and respect that the audience will understand. That's what it's all about, I think. I think Del Close, the improv guru, used to say, treat your audience like they're artists and poets and they will be you're not smarter than anyone else i hate to be referencing so many quote-unquote geniuses david foster wallace you know treasures his regular guyness that's a quote from that movie that you know but something he really said and you know if he thinks he's smarter or better than anyone around him he will stop being a good writer and he would know you know (laughs) what it takes to be a good writer
0: And that aspect of self-confidence and knowing oneself is essential not only in comedy and dark comedy, as of course we're discussing, but in general philosophy and I would argue in success in life. To look at my experience with dark comedy, I know I've often made dark jokes in response to certain serious topics. And I've been accused of and have accused myself of being emotionally shallow in those moments and not digging deeper to have a more mature or articulate discussion and instead choosing the route of a brief, potentially pithy, dark joke. I'd like to know if you think that is an excuse or a form of escapism, or if you think that making dark comedy is a means of grappling with certain very serious issues.
1: Well, when I make a joke, and maybe especially a dark joke, and it doesn't land, these days, I'm trying to look back at what my intention was from it. And often, you know, the intention was flawed, was not the most generous thing to do. You know, I think, and that's maybe what it comes down to is the idea of, like, the more generous you are in, probably in life, but maybe especially in art, the better response you're going to get. Because that's what people want. They want you to, like, give them something, you know, a story or a part of yourself. That's the deal. Because at the highest level, they're giving you money. And on the everyday level, they're giving you love and laughter.
0: I'm curious, Kip, if you've ever made a dark joke that didn't land. It's very interesting when you ask that. A lot of topics that I typically cycle through with dark humor come to mind. And a number of those topics are things of which I'm critical, but not necessarily hateful. And I think that often comes across I've mentioned in earlier episodes that I'm not terribly close with my family, and I think that's out of personal bias and uncomfortable or fractured perspectives on my end. So I've often made jokes comparing parents to people or comparing the association of marriage to people because I'm a bit critical of the institution of marriage. And sometimes it hasn't landed where people who have perfectly healthy relationships with their parents see me as being hateful towards parents in general. And I don't know that I could explain it to them in a way that makes sense because ultimately my experience in using those jokes is because on some very childish emotional level, I haven't reconciled my feelings related to my family and my parents or in the case of marriage with which I don't have any experience, I haven't really navigated how I feel about it yet. I've seen a lot of arguments on both sides. And I think I've come across in a pessimistic way, which is why I've made certain very dark jokes about what marriage is or what it looks like. And so I don't remember how people reacted specifically, except that there was a lot of silence and furrowed brows, because the really big jokes that you take risks on often critique, or in some people's opinion, attack a titan of our culture in some way. But what have your experiences been?
1: Well, that sounds to me like, and it lines up with how I've often felt, that it's fearful but not hateful. I'm scared of marriage, so I would probably make a joke about how crazy the institution is. But that's because I'm afraid of it, not because I think people who aren't afraid of it are wrong. I just can't help it. I would love to meet someone I wanted to marry, but that seems crazy to me now.
0: And I'm glad you bring up the distinction between fearful and hateful behavior, because I think they are related. And on some level, people react with vehemence of some form towards dark jokes, because your worldview doesn't line up with theirs. And fundamentally, we don't like that. We like people who think like us because on some level, it reassures our behavior. And so we feel okay in thinking marriage is a great institution. So we don't want to hear you joke about how it's not because that challenges our worldview. But I imagine that no one's ever asked you if you're trying to be fearful or hateful because people presume the latter, I imagine, correct?
1: I think that's really smart, Kip. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think they're both fear responses. And that's understandable. And when you understand it, if you understand it about another person, that the thing you're perceiving as an attack is coming from fear, then I think it's possible to forgive people and maybe even yourself.
0: And another feeling i have about dark comedy in general is that if employed well or if written or constructed artfully it isn't an attack on human behavior so much as the state of the universe in which we live and to me dark humor in that context is an attack on the unknown that which exists outside of humanity and may pervade us and our world and our lives but should align the comic or the comedian or the performer with the audience against that, which is unknown and difficult to perceive. And I don't think every great comedian does that when they use dark humor, because it seems more that you're attacking a specific group of people. And understandably, they don't enjoy that. Do you think that theory has any merit to it?
1: Yeah. You know, the Coen brothers do it so well because it's just about the fundamental anxiety of being alive, which we all feel, which is universal without selling out. We think about something that appeals to everyone as pandering, but that's only because a lot of things pander. What's a topic that you're, if there is one, that you're not able to laugh at? Is there something that's dark for you that you don't like touched?
0: That's a really good question. And I would start by saying that whether it's through conditioning or other stimuli in my life, I've noticed a lot of empathy has developed in me. And I hesitate to call myself an empathetic person because I'm very critical of the arrogance that that could connote. And at times, it's a huge hindrance because I'm very sensitive to other people's troubles or feelings of marginalization. And to be fair, I've also been oblivious to that at times and feel terrible after the fact because that's not the type of person that I want to be. I am not a member of a marked category as a previous guest on this show. In episode 72, Olivia Sinabria talked about I'm a white heterosexual male. So when it comes to issues of marginalization, I've never been marginalized for being a part of the majority as it relates to topics that I feel are untouchable. When it comes to me, the only things that I've really ever suffered from are depression and related anxieties. So there are certain jokes about depression that may be relatable, but are so sensitive and so authentic that they bring me to a point of feeling helpless because that's the nature of depression. And similarly, I think there are issues like race or gender where jokes bring people back to that feeling of helplessness, and that's really at the crux of why those people can't stand those forms of dark jokes, because they remind them of their helplessness. It's not so much a social commentary as it is putting them back in the box that they belonged to because of some arbitrary social determination that said they were a minority or lesser than, etc., And so those jokes don't offend me on a personal level because I'm not allowed to say that I am a white heterosexual male, but on an empathetic level, I can't stand rape jokes, jokes about race that are insulting or discriminatory, jokes about gender or sexual orientation that are discriminatory those things offend me. I would say the pandering you referred to earlier is important to me because if people can find dark humor that applies to the human condition, then I am okay with it because I think it's something that can unite us. And if comedians tell jokes that are more unifying than diversifying, I feel more comfortable with that. But perhaps I'm asking too much because comedy As is shown in the Native American example, is often exclusionary for the sake of determining an in group and an out group with which the audience can or cannot identify. And it is all very complex, but that's a really good question. And I'd like to return it to you before we finish the episode.
1: Well, I love what you're saying about empathy. And I think it's hard for a number of complicated societal reasons to claim to be an empath. But what you can claim, I think, I think you're allowed to claim to be conscious of empathy and conscious of it as something that you can give to other people and that other people are giving to you. Maybe not everyone in the way you want, but people are doing it all the time.
0: And before we finish the episode, what are some things you'd like the audience to think about as they relate to dark humor or dark comedy?
1: I always say, and some people get annoyed because I repeat it, but just focus on your breathing, you know? Try not to be scared too much because when you're at least aware of your fear, you can understand when you're acting from a place of fear. And a lot of misunderstandings and hurt feelings occur when people are acting from a place of fear because other people don't always know because we're not afraid of the same things. And, you know, that's kind of what the journey of connection is. Like, are we afraid of the same things? Is this something I should be afraid of or am I being kind of silly? You know, is this a real fear? Is this a fundamental fear of existence or is this because of something that just happened to me. It's always good to check in with people like that.
0: I agree with you. And I would encourage the audience, whether they are comedians or not, to think about why certain dark jokes offend or do not offend them, as I think it can point to interesting cultural intersections and points of disagreement which can be made into conversation and are always learning opportunities if you allow that to be the case and also what dark jokes you are or are not comfortable making and what it says about you as a person and a comedic entity and mike i want to thank you again for coming on it was great to have you
1: it was great being here man it's a lot of fun
0: but of course we want this to be a conversation among not simply a conversation between so if you have thoughts opinions or comments of any kind we would love the feedback You can reach us on Twitter or on Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to and reviewing the show. It helps us a lot. And share this episode with anyone you think might find the conversation valuable. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.